Uh, we're continuing a series of messages uh, today called Real Big Community. And we're learning about how important values, some of the important values that we can hold on to as a church community as we navigate through growth and change. But with, these are some of the same principles that we're finding true in our own personal lives as well. Whether we face growth and change at work or in our schools or our homes, wherever we may find ourselves. Growth and change can be hard in our lives, especially when others are instigating it, right? I mean, it's one thing when we're bringing the growth or we're bringing the change into our own lives because we want it. But it's a whole other thing when other people are bringing change into our lives and we're not necessarily agreeing with it, but we just kind of have to figure out how to get by or go along with it. Change can be good for us at times. Change can be helpful. Yet change also brings uncertainty at times. And it can be painful and it can even be frustrating at times. And it's human nature at times in those moments to question change and to sometimes want to complain or challenge or get upset with it, even to distance ourselves from it. But what is the best way to deal with, with change and discontent when it comes into our lives? Any ideas? What about when a spouse or a parent or a boss is somehow causing change in our lives or when it's happening in a church or somewhere else? And most importantly, what does God expect from us in those moments? How important is unity? And how important is it that everyone agree on everything? You know, when I was a kid, I'll never forget, every summer I would go to this Christian camp off the Georgia coast. It was a nice place. It was kind of rustic, but it was a pretty place. And I remember going there every June uh, for camp. But I also remember there was a season in my life when my dad served on the board for this camp. This camp was run by a, a grouping of churches in that part of the state. And they had different members of their congregations get together to be a part of this, this board that handled all the, the dealings of the camp once a quarter. And I'll never forget, my dad would bring me into these meetings at this steakhouse. And I just, he would tell me to be quiet and sit in the corner and play or read a book while they had this meeting. But I, what I remember more than anything else about those meetings was how not quiet everyone else was. Because as a little kid, I was told to be quiet, not to say a whole lot. But I would see these grown people shout and scream at each other and get all upset, faces red, veins popping out because they would be disagreeing over how they were going to handle some little detail about this camp. And what was so crazy to me was like it happened every single meeting. Every time I asked my dad, Dad, why are these people always so angry at each other? Why can't these people get along? I was like, aren't these grown-ups who are trying to help people, help kids find Jesus? I mean, I just don't get it, you know? But what was, it just amazed me, no matter what, this, they could be repainting the kitchen in the, at, the, at the camp and they would have these big disagreements over what color it should be. You know, every single decision that needed to be made, you could just, the one thing you could count on was that somebody would disagree and someone would get upset about it. Thinking back, it makes sense to me why they never were able to figure out how to get beyond their churches and allow other people to use this camp to reach kids for Christ, or why they never modernized, because they couldn't seem to come to agreement on anything, and no one was willing to budge. It wasn't, it wasn't just that disagreements were normal in these meetings, because disagreements are normal in our lives, but it was that disunity was normal for them too. And, you know, I wonder if it still is, because I, just a few days ago, I went on their, the camp's Facebook page to ask how things were at the camp since Hurricane Matthew blew through a few weeks ago. And it, the wall of the, of the, the eye wall kind of got really near to where that camp was. 
And no more than just a few minutes after I posted that question on their Facebook page, and someone from that board got on there and called another person on the board a liar and brought shame to the name of the camp because they were in some disagreement about something at that particular time. And I thought to myself, man, sometimes things just never change, you know? You know, I bet in your own life, you've also seen the damage that disunity can do, right? Maybe it's even hurt you personally. Someone disagrees with something that you're doing or that you want to do, and they need to get their own way, or they need to keep things as they are. They need to be right, maybe, or maybe they're wanting to control the outcome. And what's more important to them than their relationship with you is making sure the situation is as they want it to be. It could be an important issue. And they could say, it's not, it's not about you or I. I just want to do what's best. But instead of building bridges, they're burning bridges. Or they're building up walls. Growth and change are hard for us many times in life. But as I just was, we've been discussing here in the last week, change and growth are a normal part of life. So are disagreements. No matter how much we don't like them, God makes none of us alike, and therefore disagreements are an unavoidable part of life. Isn't that right? But you know what is avoidable and what should never be considered normal? Disunity. Disunity develops when disagreements are more important to us than the people we have the disagreements with, and we fail to work together. I'm going to say that again. That was good stuff. You guys are a little too quiet. (laughs) Disunity develops when disagreements are more important to us than the people we're having the disagreements with, and we fail to work together. Today I want to continue to study a little bit in this, this passage we're looking at in this series, Acts chapter 15. We started it last week. And what we're going to see today is that while disagreements are normal, disunity never has to be. Acts chapter 15 is this perfect example of a situation where growth and change in the church, could be anywhere else for that matter, but the, the growth and change can lead to some pretty tough disagreements. Yet what we're going to also see here is that no matter how difficult the disagreement, when God is at the center and, group, and a group of people are committing to honoring God first and staying united, that they can be. So turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 15. And while you're turning there, let me just point out to you, in case you missed last week, in the first four verses that we looked at last week, what we saw here was that Paul and Barnabas are leading these non-Jewish people to Christ. This is kind of, kind of a new thing that's happening among them. And as these non-Jewish people are coming to Christ, they're, these people who are called Gentiles, there are these Jewish background believers who are not really liking what's going on. And so these Jewish Christians are showing up behind Paul and Barnabas and telling these people who are coming to Christ, you know what, you're really not a Christian. You're really not, you really haven't accepted Christ. You really aren't a follower of Jesus because you're not circumcised yet. And, and if you're not circumcised, then you can't be a Christian. If you're not obeying all the laws of Moses, they said, then you can't be a Christian. And Paul and Barnabas are really upset about this. There's a, this disagreement quickly flares up, and it's starting to cause such a problem that they decide, these, this, this, the, the leaders of the Christian church at that time decided to call this emergency meeting because they realized this issue, this crazy issue about whether guys are being circumcised or not before as they accept Christ, they're seeing this thing is going to split the church in half. And that something needs to be done about it. Somehow, there needs to, they need to come to a place of unity. 
Now, last week as we started this series, we talked about how important it was through growth and change that we stay focused, right? And that we keep the main thing the main thing. Well, today we're going to talk about the importance of unity because you can't stay focused if you're not unified, right? So Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 4, we'll pick back up where we left off. It says this, when they arrived in Jerusalem, talking about Paul and Barnabas here, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So what's happening here is these these Pharisees are speaking up in the meeting and they're bringing things quickly to the point which is that they don't believe that, you know, that Paul and Barnabas are doing the right thing by, with this whole circumcision thing. Now, let me just say to you this morning, so oftentimes when we talk about Pharisees, we just automatically assume they're bad people, right? We just had this chip in us that says, oh, Pharisee, they must be horrible people. They must be the villains of the story. And you know, when we read the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus butted heads with the Pharisees quite a bit, and there were some really bad things going on in the lives of the Pharisees, but that's not always the case. In fact, this is, I, think this, I think this would be a very good example of that because these, these aren't just Pharisees who are trying to stop Christianity. These are Christians who used to be Pharisees, but they've now accepted Christ. And there's a big difference there. These aren't necessarily villains or bad guys. These happen to be people who were raised in the strict pharisaical views of Judaism, but they have now accepted Christ. And in their minds, what they want more than anything else is to not compromise Scripture to grow the church. And that's what they think Paul and Barnabas are doing. And so they're pushing back because they're trying to protect the faith. They're trying to protect what they hold dear. And so there's this strong difference of opinion that's happening here. And it's so easy for us, to, you know, 2,000 years later to just kind of minimize it or not see it as a big deal. But it was a huge deal. Paul and Barnabas feel that these... These, you know, that what these Pharisaical Christians are, are saying, that they're harmful and that they go against the teachings of Christ. Either side in this argument could have just looked at each other and said, you know what, you need to change or else. But they didn't do that. You see, because they all knew, even though moments were tense in this, they all knew that unity was important. Why? Because unity is important to God. It reflects His character. And his being. Let me show you this morning how important unity is to God. First Corinthians says, I appeal to you to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Psalm 133 speaks to unity in all of our lives. It says, look how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Romans 15, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting of followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God. Ephesians 4, make every effort, every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You see, in our lives in, in all of our relationships, unity is something we should strive for because God treasures it. So let's look back at this story 
uh, this morning and just kind of see a few things about how they were able to treasure unity even in the midst of a difficult circumstance. The first thing I see here, starting in verse 6, is how we're to be careful to listen and slow to take sides when there's potential disunity going on. And we see this true in Peter's life. Look at verse 6. It says, So the, the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you to, some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So, he says in verse 10, why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke they, that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of Christ Jesus. Notice Peter in this point in the story. In Galatians chapter 2, what we see is that Peter kind of waffled back and forth on this decision about the Gentiles for quite some time. And in Acts 15, what we see is that Peter is patiently listening. While everyone else is arguing and discussing this whole thing, Peter's really trying to listen carefully to what everyone else is saying before he forms his opinion. And he's listening to God's voice. And he's trying to hear God. God, what, what are you saying in the midst of this tough decision we're to make? Likewise, if we really want unity with others, we must be so careful to be slow in making our decisions or making judgments and quick to listen to God. Proverbs 18.13 says, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And in James 1 it says, Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Even, even when a situation in your mind is fairly obvious and you're convinced that other people are wrong, do you tend to approach others assuming that there's an X factor? Assuming that there's something about this situation that you don't fully get or you don't fully understand yet? Maybe, maybe if you're married, you have, sometimes you'll have this intense fellowship with your spouse, Right? And everything in you, you as, as you're arguing with your spouse, you're just thinking about all these things about, you know, you're, you're coming up with these defenses in your mind about what you're going to say next and feeling frustrated and how they could see things or how they could say things the way they are. But I wonder if that, in that moment how oftentimes we ask ourselves, what's the X factor here? What's going on here? Why, why, is, he, why is she responding the way he or she is? Because maybe, maybe there's a part to this that I just don't fully see yet. Sometimes we, if we approach these things assuming there's another viewpoint, there's something else to be understood, we see things in a whole new light. But oftentimes we tend to want to just defend our viewpoint and defend ourselves even before we've heard the other person's perspective. You know, a while back I had someone show up in my office uh, because she understood that I was getting ready to make some decisions that she didn't like, which happens. It does. And I loved her approach in that moment. She came to my office and she says, Listen, Dave, this is what I heard. This is what I heard was, is going to happen. And I know there's probably another side to this whole thing. So before I share anything, could you help me understand the whole picture? And she, she was struggling about this, but she wasn't angry because relationships and unity was so important to her. 
And I so appreciated how she approached that whole thing. Made an impact in my life. Let me say this morning. If we treasure unity, then we will be people who are careful, who are careful to listen and slow to take sides. We'll also be people who are not easily angered. There are people in this story that we're looking at in Acts 15 who are noticeably angry, right? I mean, there's a lot of tension here. But Peter isn't necessarily one of them. And this gives Peter the opportunity in this difficult moment to powerfully speak in a situation later when he does. Because others around him don't see that Peter's not getting mad or jumping to conclusions in this situation. Now, I'm not saying here, as we talk about this idea of unity, I'm not saying here, please hear me, I'm not saying that we should never get angry. Far from it. There's a time and a place to be angry. But we just saw in the book of James where it says we should be slow to become angry. Right? 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is not easily angered. There's a time and a place to get angry about things. Jesus himself got angry at times. But it didn't happen easily. And it certainly didn't happen before all sides of a situation were fully understood. Let me ask you this morning, when you, when you think about disagreements that you have in your life with your spouse or with your boss or with a schoolmate or, or with a teacher, or maybe it's people you have authority over in your life, like a child or a coworker, how easy is it for you to get angry? Those who are easily angered create a culture of fear around them where people don't necessarily share honestly with, the, with that person because they're concerned about how they're going to react or respond and that they feel like they're not going to really listen anyway. You can say all day to someone else, you, 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 know, you, should, you should just talk to me. You should tell me when something's bothering you. But what kind of environment do you create when people do? If you're not slow to speak, if you're easily angered, then you only make it harder for people to come around and talk with you and share with you how they really feel. Let me ask you, if you find that you get upset with others a lot because of the way they're handling things, is there at least a possibility, a small possibility, that in part that you are a person who becomes too easily angered, too quick to speak or to jump to conclusions? Even, even if you're right about the situation, you can be wrong if you become too easily angered. And people won't look to you or listen to you when the rubber meets the road. In this situation, as I read Acts 15 and also as I read Galatians 2 and 3, which is, a, which is kind of the same story being played out in the book of Galatians, I wonder if Paul himself was not a person who really struggled with being easily angered at this point in his life. In Galatians 2, it actually says that Paul got into Peter's face around this issue. That was, those are the words of the New Living Translation. And later in Acts 15, there's another situation. Even after they resolved this situation, what you see at the end of Acts 15 is that Paul is upset again about a guy named John Mark. And it says in that part at the end of Acts 15 that tempers flared once again. In the end, it wasn't... Paul's feelings or emotions that really swayed people's opinions about this disagreement, I don't think, as, it must, as much as it was Peter's. Think about it this morning. Don't we all know someone in our lives who tends to use anger to, as a tool to control others? 
Often I find that people, are easily, who, people who are easily angered, they're unaware that what they're doing is wrong. But they go back to the same behavior over and over and over because they think it works, not realizing that so many people actually don't even pay attention to what they're saying or their opinions because they're known to be people who are just easily angered and upset all the time. So this morning, we keep in mind that love, uh, that in these situations, to find unity, that we're not easily angered, that we're careful to listen and slow to take sides. But lastly, I want to say this. Rather than assuming our thoughts are aligned with God's, in these moments we step back from disagreements to hear God's voice. As Peter is listening to everyone sharing that day, he's also listening to God. He's understanding that other people's opinions in this situation are helpful, but God's opinion, understanding God's opinion here, is essential. And Peter sees how the Holy Spirit's been working among these uncircumcised Gentiles, and he's been fill, God's been filling them with the Spirit, which in Peter's mind he starts to realize, okay, if God's doing this, and obviously God's not as upset with them as these other people are. Peter also thinks back what we, uh, these, some situations that we also see in Acts 10 and 11 where God made no distinction between Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles. And so Peter concludes in verse 11. He says, you know what? We're all saved by the undeserved grace of God, just as we are. You know, in those moments when you find yourself in just a real heated discussion with someone, in those moments when you are easily angered, and those moments when you just can't deal with the other person. I wonder, do you, are you able to look at them and see the undeserved grace of God in their lives? I wonder in those moments if you're able to step back from the heat of that moment and say, God, what are you saying in this situation? What is it that I'm not seeing? What's the X factor here, God? Because obviously there is one. Lord, you want unity in all relationships. Unity, even though you don't, even though we're, it's because we're different, we can't have uniformity. We can't always think exactly alike. God, you want us to have unity among each other. What's that look like here? What are you trying to say? They all knew that relationships and finding people and, and finding a place where everyone moved forward together was important because unity is more important than having your own way. You know, as I think back on those meetings as a child in that Christian camp, they really made an impression on me. And I still sometimes wonder why they couldn't find a place of unity and thinking through what's the main thing. The main thing for them was to help kids find Jesus. May we always in our lives be able to be ministers of reconciliation. May we be able to find unity, even in disunity, and bring people closer together. You know, it's so amazing how God works. You know, I, as God put this, this series and this message in particular on my heart a year ago to bring, for some reason, in the fall of 2016. And I, as, I, as I look back, I can see now why God wanted to do this, because this couldn't be a more perfect time for us as a community to discuss growth and change and the importance of staying focused and staying unified as a community. 
We're facing some big decisions together as a community here in the, next, in the coming months. It still, it just, it just kind of baffles me how God just continues to bring more and more people to this place called grace, to find undeserved grace here, and to find play, a place where they can grow in their faith and deepen in their faith. And I'm just, you know, every Sunday when I'm here, I'm just, I see all of you coming in, and it just... It just means so much to me to see that... And I know it's not about me. It's not about a select few people who are serving on the staff of this church. It's, it's about God's Spirit working. And he's, he's working in our midst and He's bringing people here to hear about Christ. And because of that, and because we're growing and there's, this, these, some, there's these big decisions we need to make, one of those decisions is that we need to decide in the coming months... Can we stretch ourselves and expand our facilities here? Perhaps build a children's ministry center so that we can continue to grow as God brings more and more people here to find out about Christ. And we're also struggling with making a decision together. Should we expand our staff? Should we hire a family ministries pastor next year so that we can continue as we grow to continue to disciple every young person, every old person who God brings here? Because regardless of age, we all need to be taking steps closer to Christ on a regular basis. I ask you this morning, from the bottom of my heart, that you would pray with us as we make these decisions together. That you wouldn't just assume someone else is going to make them, but that you would be a part of making them as well with us. That you would be a part of hearing God's voice for us, with us, so that we make the decisions that Christ wants us to make here in this community as perfectly as we know how. When you face disagreements in your own life, whether it's at work or at home, wherever you are, it's my prayer that you would seek to do what we've talked about today. Disagreements, they're normal. It's a part of life. It just happens. It's a part of growth. It's a part of change in our lives. But disunity, disunity never has to be. Let us all treasure unity just as God does. I'll close by sharing this with you. Recently, I heard about this church that, where the building is literally able to heal itself. It's this church called the Hagia Sophia, and it's in Turkey. Um, it was built about 1,500 years ago by Christian people, and for 1,000 years, it was the largest church in the world. But what I find so amazing about this place, as I've read about it, is how the Hagia Sophia still stands today despite numerous earthquakes over the years. Because, the, the, because this building was originally fashioned from this extraordinarily hardy cement that was brought in from an island in the Mediterranean, what, what's amazing about this is whenever earthquakes happen in this region and these cracks and fissures form in the building, they're there until another rain comes, another downpour comes. And this, this cement has never settled. It has never set. And so when the rains come and wash over these cracks it reseals them all over again. Over and over again. This has happened for centuries, for a millennium and a half. Earthquakes come, these cracks form, and the rains just wash over and bring healing to this building. I think that is such a beautiful illustration for our own lives. We're going to run into times in our lives when there are cracks and fissures in our relationships. There are going to be times when people rub us the wrong way and they frustrate us and they anger us and we think the decisions they're making are just stupid. 
for their lives or for the lives of others, and we get upset. And those moments, cracks and fissures start to form. We can allow those cracks and fissures to stay there, or we can pray that God by His Spirit would wash over those things and cement all those cracks back together once again and bring healing. God, by His Spirit, is able to bring unity in ways that we cannot do on our own. But if we, if we seek in our relationships to put God first and to put others first over the issues, we can find unity and we can reseal those cracks over and over again. And we're made stronger because of it. It's my prayer that we will always be self-healing in our relationships. In every area of our lives, may we treasure unity as much as God does. Make every effort, every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for helping me to give this message. Lord, unity isn't something that I tend to talk about a lot, but it was just something you put on my heart a long time ago. And Lord, I I thank you that you have created this place here at Grace Community where we are unified. We've faced so many challenges over the last 30 years, and we continue to figure out how to stay united through each and every one of them. And Lord, I pray that same thing in each one of our own lives as well. In those moments when cracks form in relationships, when we find that we just can't find a place of agreement. Lord, would you help us? Help us to come together, whether we're believers or not, and find a place of unity. Lord, may we be, as followers of Jesus, ministers of reconciliation wherever we go. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom in those moments when we don't know the words to speak. We don't know what, what coming to a place of agreement can even look like. Lord, if you can do it in Acts chapter 15, you can do it in our lives with what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And we just thank you in advance for how you will continue to bring those rains, those downpours, to seal the cracks in our lives and our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.